0: Out there to be known, and open in, open in medicine, open politicians. Uh, there's just so much out there that this world is like, hey, try this, try that, but none of it offers you eternal life. There's, there's, you know, science trying to push its agenda, which uh, anti God is not true science, and they're saying, hey, turn, turn to this. Guess what? There's no eternal life there. There's no, there's no hope ultimately, and we all have at the end of our lives a grave. If the rapture doesn't happen, right? And we need something for to, to answer that. And Jesus Christ is the only one that offers us a certain hope beyond the grave. So don't let the world cause you to forget that with everything that's happening right now. We have a Savior that has risen from the dead. And because of that, because we have a living Savior, we have a living hope, a true hope. And that's, guys, that's why we sing and do what we do here. Not just because it's routine. It's just what you do on Sundays, but because we have a living hope in the risen Savior. Amen. So, Father, we do thank you so much for Jesus, for sending your Son to die for us. We're so grateful, Lord God, to come, to have the blessing of your Holy Spirit moving in our midst. We pray that you'd bless our time together. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You guys can be seen we continue to worship through this morning's tides it to him. Praise him for his faithfulness. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Amen. He's, He's always good, and he can only be good. Amen. You guys can be seated, and we're going to take a moment and cover a few announcements.
1: There we go. Good morning, church. Is anybody new here for the first time? Why don't you raise your hand so we can just welcome you and say hi. Anybody? Welcome. Hi. Welcome over there. Welcome over there. We have a visitor's card in the back of the seats here. If you want to take one of those out and fill it out and turn it in, we'd love to get to know you a little bit better. And so just to put it in the copy box in the back there or give it to one of the ushers. I'd love to, to get to know you as well. Well, welcome to Calvary. If you have your bulletins, let's take them out. And go over a few things coming up this week left side of our bulletin is our weekly fellowship opportunities and uh a note on that tuesday's biblical citizenship class is going to be canceled this week uh there's a big wedding going on or something like that and so uh we're going to be uh, moving it until the following week and so uh, uh for those of you that have been a part of that it's been great it will be the last class for that on that tuesday evening And then uh, our men's study, we're not going to be starting that up until October 5th. But that brings us to the center section of our bulletin. And uh, my daughter, Laura, has got an announcement to make with that. Where's Laura at? There she is.
2: trying to pull a Lori Davis right now, <laughs> so I'm going to try my best. I got my props. Okay, so I got to take off the hat. Here we go. This is what Lori would do. Okay, so, <laughs> woo, Aunt Lori. Women's Bible Study is starting up this Thursday. So it's over the life of Joseph, Job, and Jonah, and it's called Not Your Average Joe's. It'll be at 9.30 a.m. on Thursday morning and then 7 p.m. that night. The morning study will have childcare, so that's great. If you moms are kind of thinking about it, that's one added blessing. Um, we need you to sign up today, so that way we can get you a notebook. And um, you won't get that notebook until Thursday morning or Thursday night, but we just need to know how many to order So definitely sign up in the back, and we will get you that. Um, I think that was everything for that, right? (laughs) Okay. Changing hats. Okay. There we go. Women's retreat. It's September 22nd and 23rd. Woo. It's a good thing. We have speaker Kathy Dickinson. She is from Calvary Chapel, Jericho Road in California. Cajon. El Cajon. Close. California. Um. So it starts Friday night at 7 o'clock. We'll have cookies and fellowship time, too, which is always great. And then Saturday morning, it'll start at 9.30 a.m. We'll have breakfast and lunch that day. And we're actually going to have a coffee bar, too, with our barista, Wilson. So that'll be amazing. One more reason to come, right? Um, We'll have Kathy Dickinson speak. She has done some of our women's studies in the past. I think she actually did the Gospel of Mark, this one that we just finished. Um, this last season. So she'll be speaking um, for us. We need you guys to sign up today and pay for that today because we are catering in some really good food and so we need a head count so we know how much food to order. So that table is in the back in the foyer when you walk up. My dad I think made fun of my little props with the lights and yeah no never. (laughs) So sign up today for the Women's Bible Study, Not Your Average Joe's, and the Women Retreat which is on Psalm 27. I don't know if I said that, but Psalm 27. Thank you, guys.
1: Thank you, Laura. Okay, we have um, uh, the New Testament Greek class uh, coming up September 18th. They talked to Pastor Bruce about that, uh, have that coming up. Convalescent Home Ministry meets next Sunday afternoon. Love to have you get involved with that. If, you, if you're not involved in ministry, this would be a great one to, to just minister to these folks. Um, ministry needs as a result of the growth of the ministry of Calvary. There's obviously needs for more servants. So if God's been laying on your heart to get involved, just see one of the pastors here. would love to get you involved with that. And finally, uh, a couple other things, Uh, saying goodbye. Next Sunday is Pastor Sean's last Sunday here at the church, and so everybody big, oh, oh, bummer. Um, God is doing some great and exciting things with him, and and we've been blessed to have him here for a year and a half, and... and, uh, and it's been really, really great. He'll be back. His, his in-laws live here, and so he'll be back visiting. But we want to have just a special time next Sunday praying for them, their family. And then we're going to get a big old cake from Costco or Sam's Club. We'll have it in the, in the kids' worship area. So just we can hang out and say our goodbyes and, and pray for them and just wish them the best. So that will be next Sunday as well. And then uh, uh, one final thing, um, one of the, the greatest things that God did in my life, next to my salvation, is giving me my wife, Lisa. We've been married 45 years yesterday. And so it's just, uh, I am truly a blessed man and, and so grateful. So with that, why don't we all stand up and turn around and say hello to someone. right well it is 10:36. <laughs> listen there's no saying you have to leave as soon as service is over you guys can always hang out after service and fellowship and have a good time but uh if we don't get started it, it'll be <laughs> way after so Well, good morning again. We are now jumping back to where we left off before we did our series on what happens next. We are in the Gospel of Luke, and we left off with Chapter 8. So that's where we're going to pick it up this morning. If you need a Bible, just raise your hand, and we'll get one right to your seat so you can follow along with us. Luke Chapter 8. We're going to be looking at the first 15 verses. The title of my message this morning is Soil Samples. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this time we can spend in your word. Thank you for this opportunity, Lord, to be in your word, knowing, Holy Spirit, that you are here to teach us, to instruct us, to illuminate to our hearts this morning what you have to say to us. So Lord, it all then falls on us to be open and receptive to hear what you have to say to us and to not reject it. So we pray, Lord, for open hearts, open ears to hear what you have for us. And we also pray, Lord, if there's anyone here that doesn't know you, anyone watching online that doesn't hasn't come into that personal relationship with your son, Jesus Christ, their sin is not forgiven yet. Lord, we pray that they would hear this message and they would turn from from. Uh, their sin, turn from this world and turn and cry out to you today for salvation. Thank you for this opportunity to gather together. We commit it to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. When Jesus walked this earth, he took his disciples up on the mountain and he gathered them around him and he taught them, saying, blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are those who who are meek. Blessed are you who thirst for righteousness. Blessed are the merciful. Blessed are the pure at heart. Blessed are the peacemakers. Blessed are you who are persecuted. When these things things begin to happen, rejoice for your reward will be great in heaven. And Simon Peter says, do we have to write this down? And Philip said, will this be on the test? And John said, would you repeat that? And Andrew said, John the Baptist's disciples, they don't have to learn this stuff. And Matthew said, "Huh?" And Judas said, "What does this got to do with real life?" The one of the Pharisees, an expert in the law, said, "I don't see any of this in your syllabus. Do you have a lesson plan? Is there a summary? Where's the student guide? Will there be a follow-up assignment?" Thomas, who had missed this sermon, came to Jesus privately and said, "Did we do anything important today?" And Jesus wept. <laughs> I don't know about you, but sometimes. I feel just like these disciples in that illustration. Jesus is trying to to teach me, and I'm just not getting it. But like this illustration, what I find out, it's not from the Lord's lack of trying. My heart needs to be prepared to receive from the Lord and then react to what he's trying to show me, to be a doer of the word, not just a hearer of the word. And I say all that because we have been looking at recently in our series what happens next, that there's never been another time in history where end times prophecy has been more aligned with the culture and circumstances in the world than it is today. And we know that God has not given us that information about his return to pack it away in a little file called things I've learned about the end times. Rather, he's given us this information to use it to reach people with the hope that we have in Jesus Christ. I think that we can often look at end times as some believers sort of feel like, like we're just withdrawing from everything. And every, everyone into sort of a Christian cocoon, you know, maybe a, a Christian bubble where we just sort of isolate ourselves from the culture. But that's not what the Bible says we're supposed to be doing and waiting for the Lord's return. We're to be occupying our time, or as Pastor Greg Laurie puts it, we're not supposed to isolate, we're supposed to infiltrate Look, Christ is coming back. And he told us, as we wait his return, we should occupy till he returns. We should be about our father's business, serving him, following him without any compromise in our lives, and looking for those opportunities that we might share the gospel. Now, that doesn't mean that everyone we share the gospel with is going to respond with, oh, yes, what must I do to be saved? But some just might. You don't know. And that's a topic that we're going to be looking at here this morning in Luke chapter 8. Jesus is giving some insight into how people respond to the gospel message. It's known as the parable of the sower. In it, Jesus explains that sowing the seed of the gospel in people's lives is much like farming. And it goes into the different types of soil that that a farmer has to deal with if he wants to have a fruitful harvest. You know, before excavation can begin on a construction project, they oftentimes will do soil samples. You know, the contractor will come in and, and see what kind of soil it is, if it's soft, if it's, you know, if it, there's a sinkhole there, if it's, if it's full of rock. So they have to sample the soil. And so that's what we're going to do this morning. We're going to take a look at some of these soil samples. If you're taking notes, we're going to see four different types of soil, and these are our four points this morning. Hard soil, rocky soil, thorny soil, and fruitful soil. First, let's look at the verses 1 through 3 before we get into the parable. We read here, Luke writes, Now it came to pass afterwards that he went through every city and village preaching and bringing bringing the glad tidings of the kingdom of God. And the twelve were with him. And certain women who had been healed of evil spirits and infirmities, Mary called Magdalene, out of whom had come seven demons, and Joanna the wife of Chusa, Herod's steward, and Susanna, and many others who provided for him from their substance. So we read, as Jesus preached and taught, he brought glad tidings of the kingdom of God, or the the good news, salvation has come to the world. Well, along with life being changed radically, Jesus soon had quite a following. He's got the 12 apostles here, but we also read of this entourage of women that were just ministering to Jesus' needs. And I love that we see they come from all different backgrounds. You have Chusa Herod Stewart and a woman like Mary Magdalene all brought together because of Jesus. And how this really speaks of the unity that we have as believers in the body of Christ. Well, now we come to the, back to the parable of the sower in verse 4. As Jesus begins to speak about people coming to faith, look at verses 4 through 8. And when a great multitude had gathered, and they had come to him from every city, he spoke by a parable. A sower went out to sow his seed, and as he sowed, some fell by the wayside, and it was trampled down, and the birds of the air devoured it. Some fell on rock, and as soon as it sprang up, it withered away because it lacked moisture. And some fell among thorns, and the thorns sprang up with it and choked it, but others fell on good ground, sprang up, and yielded a crop a hundredfold. When he had said these things, he cried, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. And Peter said, do we have to write this down? Philip said, well, this will be on the test. John said, would you repeat that? Listen, oftentimes uh, the the parables, uh, they're, they're taught really rather to illustrate and reveal a hidden spiritual truth. See, a parable is an earthly story with a heavenly meaning. And again, Jesus here is revealing to us the unseen response of the heart of man to the word of God, to the gospel. Jesus starts by describing a farmer who's going out to sow seed and how some fell by the wayside, some fell on the rock, some fell among the thorns, and some fell on the good ground. Now you might ask, what kind of farming is that? I think I'd want to hire a new farmer if this was the case. Because today, you know, when we go to farm, we, we carefully develop the field. You know, we, we, we prepare the soil. We put the seeds so far apart, exactly so far, exactly so deep. We make sure there are waters, and, and, and so we remove the weeds, and so on. But you see, Jesus was speaking to those who were very familiar with first century farming. First century farmers would go out into the open field and just throw that seed all over the place, over here and over there, and just in this indiscriminate manner. And the reason Jesus uses this comparison is because this is the way the gospel should go out. We are to take the gospel out and throw it out as far as we can. Don't just wait for me to share it on Sunday morning. You throw out the seed where you work, where you go to school, where you gather with your family, with your friends. Now you can expect that on Sunday morning I will always throw out the seed. That is, I will always give an invitation for people to come to faith in Jesus Christ. Even though I may look around and go, well, it looks like everybody here I know and they're all saved. It doesn't matter. I still will throw out that invitation. Because just maybe someone watching online will see it and hear it and they'll give their life to Christ. Or maybe you bring someone here to the fellowship who really needs to to know the Lord and they're not saved. I want you to know that the invitation is going to go out. The seed is going to be thrown out there. Now, where it takes root, only God knows. But all of us have been given the responsibility to throw that seed to share faith when given that opportunity. Paul, in speaking to the Corinthians, he said this in 1 Corinthians 3.6, I planted the seed in your hearts, and Apollos watered, but it was God who made it grow. See, this is what the parable of the sower is all about. It's our job to reach as many people as we can, scatter the seed as far as we can, so that we do our part, and then God will do his part. God will make it grow. Well, as Jesus tells his disciples this parable, they don't get it. So they come to him. Look at verse 9. Then his disciples asked him, saying, What does this parable mean? Verse 10, And he said to him, To you it has been given to know the mysteries of the kingdom of God, but to the rest it is given in parables, that seeing they may not see, and hearing they may not understand. And that's kind of an odd verse at first read, is it not? Seeing that they may not see, and hearing they may not understand. Why would Jesus teaches in such a way as to conceal the truth. Simply put, because he will honor the wishes of every person. If a person doesn't want to see, then the Lord won't force his way upon him. Understand, Jesus could have spoken so powerfully, so persuasively, and argued so powerfully that people who didn't want to be converted would be converted even against their own will. But Jesus is not after conversion by force but by choice. He honors man's free will. He says, if you don't want to know the truth, I will conceal my truth from you. But if you, if you want to know me, I will show you to me. If you seek me, you will find me. So teaching through the parables provided a way that those who wanted to know the truth could receive it, while those who didn't want it to know would be unable to receive it. Well, Jesus goes on now in verse 11 with the explanation, 11 to verse 15. Now the parable is this. The seed is the word of God. Those by the wayside are the ones who hear. Then the devil comes and takes away the word out of their hearts, lest they should believe and be saved. But the ones on the rock are those who, when they hear, receive the word with joy. And these have no no root, who believe for a while, and in time of temptation fall away. Now the ones that fell among thorns are those who, when they have heard, go out and are choked with cares, riches, and pleasures of life, and bring no fruit to maturity. But the ones that fell on the good ground are those who, having heard the word with a noble and good heart, keep it and bear fruit with patience. Now, I believe that we can apply this parable not only to those who hear the gospel for the first time, but to those of us that are saved. And when we dig into the word of God, what soil in our lives that, that, that the seed is being planted in. Here, Jesus begins by describing the primary application. Now, this parable is this. The seed is the word of God. Now, think about this for a minute. A seed is that which is alive, that which is active, that once you put it in the dirt, you add a little bit of water, it starts to move, it starts to react, it starts to grow. Peter touches on this subject in 1 Peter 1, 23, when he says, having been born again, not of corruptible seed, but incorruptible seed through the word of God, which lives and abides forever. Over and over again, the word of God, the Bible specifically refers to uh, the the word as a seed that is planted. It's active. It's alive. Hebrews 4, 12 and 13, for the word of God is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of soul and spirit and of the joints and marrow, and 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 is a discerner, of the thought and the intent of the heart. God also declares in Isaiah 55, 11, So shall my word be that goes forth from my mouth. It shall not return to me void, but it shall accomplish what I please, and it shall prosper in the thing for which I sent it. See, there in Isaiah, and the writer of Hebrews gives us this picture of the word of God being active and being alive. As it goes out, it's going to accomplish what the Lord desires. It's not going to return void. It's powerful. So my encouragement to you, when you share your faith, share the Word of God. Share scriptures that you've hidden in your heart. Use the Word of God. Because they may get home from you talking with them and go, you know, he said this one thing and it's just sticking in my brain. And that's what the Word of God does. As the Word is being spread, the message goes out. Even even online, it goes out to the Internet. Indiscriminately, the seed is being sown in cyberspace. Where it goes, nobody knows. But I'm confident that the word of the seed of the word of God is powerful. That it'll work in people's lives. You know, in many ways, it's like like you're putting little time bombs in the lives of people. Some of them detonate immediately. Some of them don't blow up till later. You might share the truth with someone. They may seem unresponsive. You know, that was a waste of time. But then that time bomb is ticking. Tick tick tick. tick up. Man, what he said to me, like I said, man, that really touched my heart. Yeah, Again, I'm confident in the power of the Word of God. Maybe someone hears this message online a year from now, and they respond. Maybe their marriage is saved. Maybe a person turns from a lifestyle of sin, and they come to faith in Christ. Oftentimes, we just don't know. And again, our responsibility is to sow the seed, but God does the work in the people's hearts through his Word. So again, the Word of God is like a seed in our hearts, planted in a piece of dirt like soil. But what we see is that the seed will only produce fruit in one type of soil. And that is the primary interpretation of the parable of the sower. But there's another way of applying, applying this in parable. It can apply to those of us that have been walking with the Lord for a while. They can, these four soils can represent four different places in our own hearts as it relates to us hearing the word and receiving the word and and allowing it to to permeate our lives and produce fruit in our lives. How do we react when the the word of God is implanted in our lives? We're going to look at both this morning. This brings us to our first point, the hard soil. Look now at verse 11. Again, Jesus says, Now the parable is this. The seed is the word of God. Those by the wayside are the ones who hear. Then the devil comes and takes away the word out of their hearts, lest they should believe And be saved. So the first thing we see is some of the seed went on the wayside. Now, waysides were the paths that that were made through the fields where people would would pass over to cross the fields back and forth. And this, in turn, would make that wayside very hard, very compressed over time. So this really illustration represents a person with a very hard heart. Maybe that, that hard heart's been walked on many, many times, taken advantage of over and over again. Maybe they've been hurt by too many uh, so-called professed Christians, Christians who didn't act Christ-like. And now they carry those past experiences with them and associate the Lord with those bad experiences, and they're just resistant to the Word of God. And what happens is the seed never takes root with these people. They hear it, but they simply do not believe it. It's not as though they embrace or say, you're right, I want to believe in Jesus. No, they're just not interested Sometimes, as we've seen, if you watch in the media, they're even hostile. They'll scream, they'll rant, they'll yell, they'll rape. They want nothing to do with your message about Jesus. It's interesting to me that those who claim to be the most open-minded are often the ones that are the most close to the truth of the gospel. They say, "Ah, I'm very open to what you have to say. I'm very liberal. I'm a seeker and open to anybody's point of view. Okay, well, here's what the Bible says. Oh, the what? No, not the Bible. No, 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 no. I don't want to hear that. You need to be censored. Get off our college campus. You can't take that stuff here. I thought you were open. I am, but I'm not open to that. The ground is just too hard. They may hear preaching or teaching, but it just bounces off. They don't respond. Their hearts are too hard. So that when the word is presented to them, there's resistance. Which then it takes nothing for the devil to come in and snatch the seed away before it ever has a chance to take root. Listen, the devil is real and his plan is to keep unbelievers in bondage to sin and guilt and to, to keep them from carrying keep them carrying their burdens until it destroys them. Because that's the devil's plan all along, as Jesus said, he came to, to steal, kill, rob and destroy. But understand, Jesus came to bring life in that more abundantly, and he can take a life that has been hard and been trampled on and give them new life and a new beginning. Jesus can take that hard soil of a person's heart and soften it to receive the gospel. But again, it's still our responsibility just to throw the seed out there regardless of the response. Now, I said this parable has many applications, a secondary application rather, and that is I believe that even as mature believers in the Lord, we can have areas in our lives in our hearts that are hard. Now, let me give you an example. Maybe it's in a place of our finances. And God has shown you over and over again from study after study, not by any prodding from me, but by His Holy Spirit, that you need to be obeying the Lord with your tithes and your offerings. And maybe you're, you're experiencing fruit in your life in every area except in the area of your finances. And you just can't get ahead. And it seems the more that you try, the more expenses come up. Your paycheck just doesn't go far enough. Sure, there's fruit in other areas of your life except that area, and you're still struggling with your finances. Why? Because you haven't obeyed the Lord when it comes to your tithes and your offerings. Listen, when it comes to our areas of the finances, the Lord tells us you put Him first in that area. And he says this in Malachi 3.11, I will rebuke the devourer for your sake, so that he will not destroy the fruit of your ground, nor shall the vine fail to bear fruit for you in the field. In other words, the devil is not going to snatch it away. God won't let him. He will provide for you everything that you need as long as you deal with that area in your life. Now, that's just one example, but I think we have all those areas in our lives that when they're brought up, we get uncomfortable with. Maybe it's anger. Maybe it's loving your wife as Christ loved the church or submitting to your husband as unto the Lord. And you start to hear this message about, from this pastor in this area of your life, and what does he know? I don't like what he's saying, you know, and it's just hard. You don't want to receive that, and, and, and it's not getting through to you, and you kind of tune him out. You don't want to hear it. It's kind of like that Billy Crystal as Miracle Max on The Princess Bride, if you saw that movie. His wife is, is saying the evil prince named Humperdinck, Humperdinck, and Miracle Max is just running around. I can't hear you. I'm not listening. I'm not listening. And she keeps following him. Humperdinck, Humperdinck. I think we can do the same thing when it, when it comes to the Lord. Tom, you need to deal with this area in your life. I'm not listening. I'm not listening. No, we need to listen. We need to look in the mirror of God's Word and allow Him to move and work in our lives. If we're going to grow, if we're going to bear fruit in every area of our life spiritually, there needs to be a softening of our hearts in those areas, in every area of our lives. See, there cannot be a resistance in our hearts to any part of God's Word if we are going to bear much fruit. And think about this. What's one of the best ways to break up hard ground? You know, it, it's to, to wet it down. Soak it with water. Same can be true in our own lives. We need to be soaked in the water of the Word, allowing it to loosen up those hard areas in our lives we need to deal with and turn it over to the Lord. Let's move on to the second type of soil we're going to encounter. Point number two, rocky soil. Now, we're not talking Sylvester Salone and rocky what is that movie like Rocky 10 now or something like that he's on you know, I don't know. Rocky 110 years old, beats up a guy with a walker. okay, there you go dun, 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 dun. Now we're talking about stony ground, rocky soil. look at verse 13 but the ones in on the rock are those who, when they hear receive the word with joy and these have no root, who believe for a while and in time of temptation fall away. In contrast to the hard, hardness or indifference of the gospel message, the seed that falls on the rocky soil does take some root, but not much. So what is the primary application here? Don't try to dig in Missouri. I'm telling you, I'll never forget when I first moved here, I went to dig a hole to put up a new mailbox, and it looked so green, it looked so nice, thunk, 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 halfway across. The mailbox ends up being, you know, down the road a ways. 'Cause it, I mean, it looks so rich and nutrients, but then you hit below the surface and it's nothing but solid limestone. Spiritually speaking, that's what Jesus is talking about here. You plant the seed in a person's life of the gospel and it appears to take root until it hits that hard place, that rock in that person's life, and they're just not willing to surrender to God with it. Oh, I know I raised my hand and surrendered my life to the Lord, but I, I'm living with my boyfriend or girlfriend right now, and I know God's word says it's sin, but you don't understand. Bunk. You don't understand. Bunk. hitting that rock. And they have all these excuses why they aren't following the Lord anymore because they hit that rock of of temptation and and sin, and, and it's keeping it from going down deep into the soil. Now, in contrast to the hard soil listeners, where, where you can't get a word in edgewise, these rocky soil listeners, they hear the word, They do respond to it. They say, yeah, this is it. This is what I've been searching for. This is what I believe in Jesus. Verse 13 says, they hear, receive the word with joy. But sadly, these folks, oftentimes, it's just an emotional response. The congregation got all worked up and, oh, I'm going to do this. And it's just all this emotional thing. And they walk away and nothing changes. They realize they have a need for the Savior. They have a conviction of sin. And in that one moment, they profess faith in Jesus. It appears to be sincere. Maybe there was tears and smiles, but again, they hit rock. Something that they were not willing to surrender to the Lord, and they just died out. They, they don't want to believe because they don't want to change. Jesus put it this way in John 3, 19. This is the condemnation. The light has come into the world, and men love darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. So what happened to them? Are they now unsaved? Were they saved and lost their salvation? I suggest to you that they were not saved to begin with. They were one of these people that we're reading about here where the seed fell on the rocky soil. They had not counted the cost in following Jesus so that when the temptations came, which they all will, when the conflict arose, they withered up and died because their hearts were truly not affected by the great love and grace of God. They were moved, but not in the depth of their heart so as to commit all to Him They loved uh, who loved them and died for them. Now, what about our secondary application that we can look at here for us as believers? Listen, there are places in our own hearts where there is no depth. We are all in this process of needing to be changed. We know God wants to work, and we know we need to be changed. And so we come to church, and we hear that message. We're convicted. We're touched, perhaps even come forward for prayer in that area of your life. But as soon as things start to heat up again, when the trials start to hit again, we say, oh, forget it. It's just, just the way I am. I'll never change what you use. It's not worth working on my marriage. I know God's word says what it says, but, but you don't know my husband. You, you don't know my wife, Funk. And in our lives, we're hitting those rocks. No, you do know the word of God. You know what it says, and we need to allow that word to sink deep into our soul and take root in our life so we have that healthy marriage. But it takes work. It takes digging up those rocks, removing those hardened areas of your life and obeying the Lord. I love what the Lord tells us in Hosea chapter 10, verse 12. I said, plant the good seeds of righteousness and you will harvest a crop of love. Plow up the hard ground of your hearts for now is the time to seek the Lord that he may come and shower righteousness upon you. Don't you love that? Plant the good seeds of righteousness in your marriage. You'll harvest a crop of love. Plow up that hard ground of your heart. Seek the Lord. and He's going to just shower righteousness upon your life. It's breaking that self-centeredness, that pride that we all have in our lives and allowing God to transform us, which can be painful, which can be difficult, hard work at times. And it takes obedience and it takes discipline. But it's well worth it when you see the end result. Which brings us to our third sample that we see, and that is the soil that's full of weeds and thorns. So our third point is thorny soil. Look at verse 14. Now the ones that fell among the thorns are those who, when they have heard, go out and are choked with cares, riches, and pleasures of life, and bring no fruit to maturity. So in this section of the soil, it's not lacking soil. There is plenty of dirt, plenty of death, but the problem is the thorns. problem is the weeds that have overtaken it. Jesus describes thorns so in verse 14 as the cares, riches, and pleasures of life that chokes out the spiritual life. Now I want you to notice this third category is a gradual process. This could last for months, could last for even years. A person makes a commitment, but then eventually they're, they're choked out with the riches and cares of this life. We, weeds really that creep in and take over. Now, for those of you that are gardeners, those of you that have your garden, you know that weeds don't burst from the ground and grab a hold of a healthy plant and then strangle it and kill it till it dies. doesn't work that way. It's a gradual process that chokes out this particular kind of growth. Now, understand, it's not blatant, necessarily blatant sin, though it ultimately will lead to that. It starts out with more subtle things. What are they? Well, Jesus names three of them. The cares first, the riches, and the pleasures of this life. First, the cares of this life. These are those also that are not openly opposed to the gospel, but are just too busy with what's going on in their life, you know, to make room for God in their hearts. What are some of the cares of life? Well, the word that Jesus uses here for cares speaks of the anxieties and worries of life. Worries over concern about your finances or over bills or just stuff that you just can't let go and therefore the Word of God has no effect on your life. Now we let the thorns of worry in and the cares of this world and they choke out the good seed. We live in such a, a busy culture and there are truly so many things that demand our time and our attention. It's really easy to get caught up with the cares of this world. But the fact of the matter is one of the enemy's biggest tactics is to get people so focused on other things that, they, that, that really don't matter for eternity as long as they don't focus on Jesus and his word. Being so concerned about the cares of this life can choke the person from coming to Christ. But also, Jesus says, the riches can cause a person to, from coming to Christ. The, the desire for riches can, can, can choke out the seed of the gospel. I like the way Jesus puts it in Mark's gospel. It's called the deceitfulness of riches. I like that. There's a deceitfulness of riches. So many people are deceived into thinking, well, if I just add a little bit more, then I'll be happy. But they're never satisfied. As you know, the Rolling Stones used to sing, I can't get no satisfaction, though I try and I try and I try. Listen to what God's word says in Isaiah 55, 1 and 2. Ho, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters, and you who have no money, come buy and eat. Yes, come buy wine and milk without money and without price. Why do you spend money for what's not bread and your wages for what is not satisfied? Why are you spending all your time and all your money on things that doesn't matter for eternity? Why are you so obsessed with the things that don't bring satisfaction? Jesus, the Word of God says, come to me. It's free. Salvation is free. You will be satisfied. But people refuse. Paul writes this in First Timothy six verse nine. But people who long to be rich fall into temptation and are trapped by many foolish and harmful desires, but plunge them into ruin and destruction. People that just constantly obsessed with, with with just a little bit more, and I just got to, I, mean, I got to spend some time. I got to make this deal over. Here, I got to make this money. They find themselves not really open to the gospel. Not really recognizing that everything they have is a gift from God. And sadly, many in the world today, money is their life. It's all about gaining just a little bit more, but they'll never be satisfied. Only when you come to the water, living water of Jesus, you'll find satisfaction. So the gospel is choked out by the cares of this life, the deceitfulness of riches. And then the third way which the gospel is choked out, Jesus says, is through the pleasures of life. Listen, I believe that this is the type of soil that we have the most of in the United States. People love pleasure, and the Bible says sin is pleasurable for a season. The opportunity of fulfilling a person's fantasies of sin are all around like never before. I mean, you can indulge yourself down just about any type of sinful fantasy that you may desire. Any kind of of experience that a person may desire is available online for price. Pornography, the openness of our society, breakdown of moral values, has opened a door of opportunity for anyone to just indulge himself in the flesh. And it's interesting that in the scriptures where in many places it speaks of the last days, that in every case you'll find that it, it really is an apt description of the day and age in which we live in. Uh, Look at this for 2 Timothy 3 verse 1-4 through and see that it was written almost 2,000 years ago but applies to us more today than ever before. Paul writes, But know this, that in the last days perilous times will come for men will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, unloving, unforgiving, slanderers, without self-control, brutal despisers of good traitors headstrong haughty lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of god this is right now these are the people we are sharing the gospel with on a regular basis many in our world today why they don't come to faith in christ lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of god their lives are full of weeds or smoking it i don't know they they have no time for god You know, Mark's gospel, again, Jesus calls it the desire for other things that will choke out the word of God from a person's life. What's a secondary way for us to understand this as believers? Well, we can hear the word of God and we can desire God to work in our life, but then we may get distracted with the pleasures of the world. Listen, there's nothing wrong with having pleasure. That is God-ordained pleasure, not the pleasure of sin. I believe that God has intended all all of us, to have pleasure. But when it comes before God, and then means it, be, it has become your God, and that makes a very poor God to worship or serve. Now you may think, well, you know, you, that you don't do that, but but I would never do that. But, you know, Jesus also said, where your treasure there is your heart also. So a good litmus test for us would be what do you spend most of your time pursuing? What do you spend most of your time thinking about? Is it the Lord, or is it that vacation? Is it the Lord, or is it that new car, or that new house, or that new pool? Not that those things are bad in and of themselves, but how much time do you spend with the Lord in communion with Him in prayer and in His Word compared to other pursuits? See, that is the real proof of our commitment. Jesus said this in Luke 16, 13, No servant can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will hold to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. He said, What will a prophet, a man, if he gains the whole world and loses his soul? Uh, what is it that, that means the whole world to you? I found it interesting. I read this recently, that a frog's optical field of perception is like a, a blackboard wiped clean. And the only image it receives are objects that directly concern him, such as his natural enemies or the food he needs for survival. So that frogs are never distracted by unimportant things, but are only aware of the essentials of whatever may be dangerous to them. Unfortunately, they don't know that a flashlight in their eyes means they're about to be gigged, but, but that's beside the point. The point is, in the Christian life, we can become so distracted and preoccupied with the cares of this world that we don't even realize that we are. Our focus can become so cluttered with materialistic and insignificant things that we've lost perspective of the things that endure, the things that are important. That's why the psalmist prayed in Psalm 119, verse 37, Turn away my eyes from looking at worthless things and revive me in your way. I love the prayer that's found in Proverbs 30, verse 8 and 9, and I like the way the New Living Bible puts it. Oh Lord, first, help me to never tell a lie. Second, give me neither poverty nor riches. Give me just enough to satisfy my needs. For if I grow rich, I may deny you and say, who is the Lord? And if I am too poor, I may steal and thus insult God's holy name. Do you see how important it is for us just to keep the main thing the main thing? Knowing Jesus Christ, making him known. This brings us to our last type of soil, the fruitful soil. It's a fertile soil. It's a good stuff. It's a heart that's soft and ready to receive the good news of the gospel. Look at verse 15. But the ones that fell in the good ground are those who, having heard the word with a noble and good heart, keep it and bear fruit with patience. Why does this person bear fruit? Because they recognize it's only through Jesus that they can bear any fruit in their lives in the first place. They see the weeds. They see the thorns. They see the rocks. They see all the sin in their lives, and they recognize they can't do anything to clean it up. Jesus alone can take care of the weed problem, the sin issue. And they invite Jesus to come into their lives. They receive the forgiveness of sin, and they choose from that day forward to live for Christ because they know just what Jesus has done for them and forgiven them of all their sin. Now, not that they don't from time to time have a weed pop up, but they recognize that if they turn to Jesus, he'll give them the strength to overcome. The secondary application for us as believers, if it's good soil, then we will produce fruit. Jesus here says, Having heard the word with a noble and good heart, keep it and bear fruit with patience. A noble heart speaks of honesty. It means being honest before God concerning your sins. Concerning your reliance upon Jesus. A good heart is result. It means an overflowing devotion to the Lord and and self-abandonment. The word patient comes from the Greek word hoopamoni, which can also be translated spumoni. It's an Italian ice cream. No, it's it's, hoopamoni means means steadfast endurance. So why does this person bring forth fruit? Because they've allowed God's word to work in their life. Fruitful soil is made that way by the work of the gardener and our cooperation. You don't naturally have a receptive heart. You make it receptive. The stumps have to be uprooted. The weed growth pulled and, and the burns so the new seed can be planted. God has to work in the soil of the human heart. We don't like it when the Lord comes along and says, hey, this boulder of sin's got to go. This weed of rebellion needs to be pulled up. This, this stump of disobedience needs to be removed. Something that we've allowed to take root in our lives. The Lord says, hey, we've got to get this stuff out of here. I need this fertile and receptive soil for the seed of the Word of God to take place so there's massive fruit in your life. How does that happen? Jesus says in verse 15, they hear the Word and they keep it. They keep it. So important. Hearing is not enough. It's, it's how we hear Matthew's gospel, again, of the same parable, says they hear they hear the word and understand it. It's not just hearing audibly. It's understanding it. It's grasping it. It's applying it. Then the fruit comes. Again, Matthew's version of the same parable points out that they bring forth fruit 30, 60, even 100 times as much as has been planted. So we've looked at four different soil samples. But what makes the soil so different? I don't think we can fully answer that since we're talking about the human heart. The farmer, he can't tell where the rocks are buried. He can't tell where the, the roots of weeds are going to spring up. Uh, we, we can't see below the surface of a person's heart. But a word that God spoke to Jeremiah might encourage us through Jeremiah. Jeremiah 4, verse 3 and 4. For thus says the Lord to the men of Judah and Jerusalem, break up your fallow ground and do not sow among thorns. See, God saw their hearts and as hard and crowded, just like the hearts described in the parable of the sower. God appealed to them, to their hard and crowded hearts. Now, in God's appeal, it's also God's enabling. If he asks you to break up the hard, crowded soil of your heart so you can receive the word of God, he gives you the power to do so. Listen, you never know when the gospel might begin to work of plowing up hard, weed-infested, rocky ground. Just because a person responds with a hard heart doesn't mean that he or she is going to stay that way. The the four soils do not describe types of person. They describe the potential condition of a person's heart at any given moment. That's why we can also call this the parable of the soils because your heart, my heart was once hard like this. Packed down soil by the wayside. Perhaps you've ignored many invitations. For one day, the gospel plowed up your hard heart and the seed was sown and found good soil. You responded and you gave your life to Christ. See, no matter which soil most speaks of your heart and represents the kind of hearer that you are, the Bible declares that all three of those failures can be changed. Perhaps you've sat and heard of the nail-pissed hands of Jesus, what he did for you upon the cross, and those words fell like seed on rocky soil. Let me tell you, God can break even the hardest of hearts and make them fit for his word. And if you've never given your life to Jesus Christ, perhaps the Lord has been preparing the soil of your heart for this day, for this time, for this morning. Would you finally surrender your life to him and find that forgiveness of sin and let him take control of your life? Maybe you're a believer this morning and you recognize that your heart's been a little stony lately, that there's been no depth in your relationship with the Lord. This is something that I think we ought to all really carefully examine our soil in our hearts and our present relationship with Jesus Christ. And as I examine my present relationship with Jesus Christ, is there a time in my walk with the Lord that I was more fervent than I am today? Is there a time in my walk with the Lord when I was more excited about the things of Jesus than I am today? Is there a time in my walk with the Lord when I was more diligent in serving the Lord than I am today? And after examining my heart and my present relationship with my past experiences, if today I don't find that I have a deeper, richer, more enthusiastic, enthusiastic relationship with the Lord, then the Bible teaches that I'm in a backslidden state. I need to stop the direction I'm going. I'm not where I should be walking with the Lord. If at any time your walk with God, your relationship to Him was richer and more committed than it is today, then you are in a backslidden state, and you should be very careful about that. Because the Bible says, specifically speaking about the last days, that because iniquity of the world will abound, the love of many is going to wax cold. The last thing you or I want is in these end times, our love for Jesus to grow cold. Maybe you're here this morning and some weeds have popped up in your life and the cares, and the riches, and the pleasures of this life, but you, you want to have it, good soul. You want to have that right heart again. I think about what Jesus said to the book uh, in the book of Revelation to the church of Ephesus. I have this against you because you've left your first love. Now repent, do the works over, or else I will remove the candlestick out of its place. Just pray the prayer of Psalm 51. It's a prayer that Jesus will answer. Create in me a clean heart, O God. Renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me away from your presence. Do not take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me by your generous spirit. Jesus can break the hardest of soil. He can pull those weeds if you just come to him in honesty and in repentance. One last thing, verse 15 says when it comes to the word of God, they keep it and bear fruit with patience. Be patient. Don't stop praying for family members and friends that don't know the Lord. You know, when when planting a garden, one plants a seed and then waters it, then then waits and waters it, then waits before it's even the slightest breakthrough. We understand this about about gardens, but understand the same thing is true spiritually. As Paul said, as I pointed out, one plants another waters, but it's God who brings the increase. Don't stop planting, don't stop watering, keep praying, keep sharing, just see what the Lord might do. You may have unsaved family members living far away, But listen, God has his agents everywhere, his servants everywhere. So keep praying that God brings someone into their life to sow the seed of the gospel to them so they'll get saved. And then pray that God would use you to be that answer to prayer from someone else who has a relative or friend living here in Springfield in this area, that we can sow the seed into their life, into their hearts, so they will know the Lord. One last thought. I'm just throwing the seed out there. If you're here this morning and you're not giving your life to Christ, Know that Jesus went to the cross. He died for your sin to take away all your guilt and shame and, and sin and replace it with an abundant life, and eternal life, a life of hope and peace. And if you want that life, I pray that these words fall on fertile soil and that you'll respond to the gospel message. If that's your desire, soon as service is over, come talk to me. Come talk to one of the pastors. Visit our new believers table over in the corner. would love to give you a Bible and I let you know what it means to follow the Lord. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this time. Lord, thank you for, for the work that you're doing in our hearts and in our lives. And Lord, we pray that we would have fertile soil of our hearts. Lord, that we are open to receive all that you have for us. Lord, that we would not have these hard hearts or these stony hearts or the, the weeds coming in that would keep us away from you. Lord, help us to return back to that first love relationship that we've had with you, Lord. Father, we do pray also, if there's anyone here that doesn't know you, that doesn't have that relationship with you, Lord, that you would speak to their hearts. You would show them their need for you, Lord, and they would turn to you and cry out to you today. And Lord, as the word went forth this this morning, it got buried deep into their soul, and that they see the only hope that they have is you. Thank you, Jesus, for our salvation. Thank you that you are a living hope. Thank you that you're coming again very, very soon. Lord, help us to occupy. Help us to take these things we've learned this morning and go out into the world, preach the gospel, sow the seed. As you bring in the fruit, you bring in the harvest, Lord. As your word says, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Lord, help us to be those laborers in these times in which we have. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So I'll stand and do one last song together.
3: To every battle, to every heartbreak, to every circumstance, Lord, I believe You are my fortress. You are my portion. You are my hiding place. I believe you are the way, the truth.
1: God bless you, keep you, direct you in paths of righteousness this coming week, that you may serve Him with joy, with gladness, that we may reach many people with the hope of the gospel. God bless you guys. Have a great week. We'll see you back again on Wednesday. God bless you.